Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? You know what time it is. It's podcast time, and we're here, and tonight's guest is none other than Anthony Green. This is one of the ones we've been waiting for, Tommy. Yeah, we got a funny story Anthony's going to tell when he gets on about this. Oh, really? Already? Yeah, Yeah. because it was so funny. It was like... It, it, I'll wait till Anthony gets on to tell it, but it was like hilarious. It was like when Anthony and I started talking, one of the first things he said after we like kind of like explained, you know, just talked about our families and stuff. He was like, does Keith not like me? And I was like, no, why? What? And he's the, and I was like, no, why? And he's like, well, he's never asked me to be on the podcast. And I was like, remember, I, I asked you a few months ago. <laughs> and he was like, did you? I'm like, yeah, dude. He's like, I don't remember that. I'm like, I'm, I'm almost positive I asked you because I I only have a handful of people I know that I can call to be on this thing. <laughs> I've exhausted everybody by you. <laughs> like, you know what? When it, It's funny. Th- that's funny to hear that because when it, when it comes to Anthony, I specifically try not to bother him with anything because I imagine there's tons of people asking him for things. Oh yeah, I would imagine yeah. it's just like I, when he was like, "Oh, here's my email." In my head, I'm going like, "Do you know how many unread emails he probably has?" Yeah, just because I know how. Like, I know I, I'm I'm sure he's much more responsible than he was when he was in high school. And but like in my head, I'm going like, "I guarantee you, he just goes through a ton of stuff." It's like, "Fuck that, fuck this, fuck that." I'm not opening this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to wait for the right time. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and now is a great time, dude. It's such a good time right now, especially because I feel like there's just a lot going on in terms of like it. What the like the main topics that we seem to come back to on this are like old stories from when we were younger, mm-hmm. um, addiction issues, and then music that is kind of like shaped and formed our lives. And Anthony is one of those people that has kind of like gone through all those same exact things. And he, yes. kind of, he kind of checks all the right boxes in terms of like what we need, like what, not what we need, but like the themes that we've kind of like been keep going back to on this show. And, yes. uh, you know, like, I guess we'll get into it in the show, but like, you know, I've known Anthony since I was 13 years, 14 years old. Yeah. You guys have, we could do just a show on you guys and maybe we will. Who knows? Yeah. I was going to say uh, he's, he's, I'm just going to let this shit run. He's fucking super amped about this. Like I, I know, um, 
heat when he's been texting me he's been like so excited about it he's like i can't wait to talk to you guys i can't wait to tell old stories i can't oh, wait man, to just... that's awesome so it, it's really going to be nice and it's also it's one of those things that like him and i kind of we always reconnect eventually but there's been a you know long periods of time where we just haven't spoken um or only spoken through text i haven't had a real conversation with him meaning Lasting more than five minutes, probably since 2012. Yeah, I think the only last time I hung out with him and like spent like I spent a few hours with him and the, and my family and one of his sons, um, probably three or four years ago, we went to go see Circa up in um, Stroudsburg. So also making waves in the world of the Northeast scene was our last episode with Casey Iodine. Now, that that turned out to be a really good episode. Tons and tons of great feedback. People seem really excited about the relaunch of Iodine Recordings. And I thought it was awesome because they weren't really on my radar at all. And just, I don't know, to get the history download and everything was great. And also, Casey was right about Gregor Samsa. That band is fucking awesome. You know what I was going to say? I went and searched them out almost directly after we were done. And guess who has all of their albums? world has post rock you know that youtube channel that's where i listen to it that's fucking they they have such the great if you don't know that channel subscribe on uh youtube uh it's called world has post rock it is phenomenal now there's duds every now and then like there's some stuff that i get and like you can tell in the first like 10 15 seconds like oh this is really isn't for me or like this isn't up my alley but at least I mean, every time I listen, I find something new, especially if I put it on shuffle and just and click around. There's yes. you find there's a band that I I'm dying to refind. I I listened to them one night when I was doing a ton of work, and I can't find them again. Very 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 reminiscent of Hammock, and for some reason, the name has escaped me since like July. I can't <laughs> fucking and it, it's like killing me because every time I'm down here doing work and I'm like sitting here like typing or like just working out on like you know uh, equations on like a whiteboard or something like that I'm like god damn it I wish I had that music because it's like that's what I work best to like things that are instrumental or things that have very very few vocals um it makes it so much easier for me to be able to kind of just concentrate and focus on the work and use the back the the music as like kind of just background noise yeah, that's good studying music. That's when I was listening to it. I think one of their records, they have a record called Home yeah, or something like Yeah, Home was what I was listening to. That's really awesome. I want to listen to the rest. Just a great band. They were not on my radar at all, which surprises me because I'm so ingrained in post-rock. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, when you first said, hey, yeah, I got that the dude from Iodine. I was like, fuck, yeah, all right. And then I was like walking around and I was like, Iodine. Oh, wait a minute. I'm thinking Epicac. <laughs> like, I'm thinking about that Epicac recordings. They had some fucking dope shit, too. Like, that was like, I, for like a, a solid, like three or four minutes, I was like, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. That's, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know that label. <laughs> like, Epicac is uh, the dude from Faith No More's label. What's that? Mike Patton. Mike Patton stuff. I just yeah, know I- that it's uh, like they put out a bunch of stuff right in a row. Um, ISIS? Yeah. It, it was. <sighs> ISIS. There was a rap album, and I don't remember the name of the band. And it's ex- it's for some reason. Uh, I only know ISIS. Uh, it'll come to me eventually, and that. But I, I literally was like, 
yeah, they had some really, really great bands on there. But I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's Dalek. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So get this. Yes. Um, when I was home for Thanksgiving, I went up into my old storage space, and the original NES was there with all the games that we had when we were kids. Oh, my God. So I brought all that shit home, and I'm working on getting the NES working. Um, I'm almost there. And I got an original controller from eBay, so that's going to be fun. And guess what else I found? I have, like, a whole shoebox full of cassette tapes of, like, talk shows that I did just by myself. Oh, no. (laughs) In my room. And I used to just let cassette tapes run and and we would like play video games and i would re- i'd record it so i essentially invented the twitch stream <laughs> <laughs> or at least the audio portion of it yeah so no but like i i was listening to it and it was a real trip like i was kind of freaked out because in grade school i got bullied real bad by this group of kids and i'm listening to the tape and i'm like hey here's and two of the fucking kids are at my house like I'm hanging out with them and I was like, <gasps> and I clicked it off and I real quick. And I just sat there like staring at my desk. Whoa. It, it was really, really weird. But, and it's funny in the tape. I'm like, we're, we're like playing video games and I'm like, all right, we're at this level. Uh, we're going to come back when he gets to this level. Goodbye. And I'd hit stop and I'd come back and I'd be like, all right, we're back. And then <laughs> I, like peep my, like my friends are over hanging out and I'm like, all right, you say something. Come on, say something funny like you did last time. I'm I'm just like, I guess I've always been a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I keep thinking of is, uh, do you ever see that movie Man on the Moon about uh, Andy Kaufman? Yeah. There's that scene where he's like a little kid and he's in his room and he he's uh, playing with the tape recorder and he's pretending he's like um, a, the t- a talk show host with like all the stuff, stuffed animals. Yeah. That's what I keep thinking about is like you in your room being like, and ladies and gentlemen, Good evening and welcome to like that's like you practicing like your like radio voice or your like uh broadcaster style. That's exactly what I was doing. So I guess I was born to do this. You know what I mean? Cuz w- with music it's like I had to wedge myself into that. I had to learn to play bass. I had to learn to play guitar. I always struggled to get into bands. It didn't feel natural, but recording bands and sitting by myself and doing talk shows and video production and all that kind of stuff is just that's stuff I've just always done or at least did when I was younger. And now it's back. No. And you're good at it. I've always said that. Like whenever you send me videos, remember uh, (laughs) the one you sent me, that was one of the funniest ones ever. People aren't going to get this reference, but it was a Mikey miles video that you made. It was like a, (laughs) Oh, the trailer (laughs) for the trailer for the movie about Mikey miles. (laughs) Yo, I still, I still watch that and I get like emotionally moved by it. It's good. I hope it's really good. It's, it's it's funny. It's like clever. It, it it has all the right twists and turns that like you don't like every single like trailer kind of like trope that they have like you did. And it was just it was it was spot on. Yeah. If anyone knows who Mikey Miles is or if you just want to see the trailer, it's on our YouTube channel. Check it out. Yeah. He is and he he blocked you, right? Yes. <sighs> You're not missing anything. No, I know because I have other accounts that I can just look at it. Through. Oh, okay. I was going to say, cause he's, he's got a job now and I'm like, it's been like three weeks. It's been over three weeks. This is a record. Yeah. 
This is a record, it, but no, no one knows what we're talking about. It, so I'm gonna. Yeah, let's switch because it, it's a, he's like a bummy actor that we, everybody just teases. <laughs> he's not even an actor; he just pretends to be. All right, Mikey Miles one six zero. Follow it on Instagram and enjoy the ride. Yeah, you'll thank me later. All right, so what else is going on? Not much. Um, I have a lot of stuff going on. I have a, a thing that I have to present tomorrow at work. Um, we use that new software. It's called Edge Elastic. So I have a like 45 minute to an hour presentation that I'm doing with third grade through eighth grade. So they're going to yeah. be like, I don't know, 75 people on this call. <laughs> So, oh man. And I have to present my screen cause it's all like using the software. So I have to present my screen the whole time. And, uh, do you get nervous before that? Um, not really. Uh, I guess like right before it, like as I'm logging on, like I can kind of get the jitters. Cause I always think like, Oh, what if something goes wrong? Like I can't get something to load correctly or like, you know, my computer crashes, but then I always think like, that's not my fault. Like, it, <laughs> like it's, I'm prepared. I know what to do. I know what to say. And I know what, right. I know what order to say it in. So it's kind of to me like, Hey, just get up here and explain the information. And I think the biggest thing that, uh, I really need to do when I, I, especially with these virtual kind of things, people check out really fucking easy. Like it, yes. I do it like when I'm in, like, so we have to make it like, at least engaging and somewhat uh, interactive. So people are like, I hate to say this, but like on their toes, cause I'm just going to like cold call people and be like, Hey, when you're on this site, when you're on this page, what, what should I click on? That's oh. a great, that's a great method. They, there was trainers at my work who would do that. They would call on people and ask them questions. Yeah. You have to do something like that. It's, it's kind of a shitty move, but it's also the same time. It kind of lets people know, like, look, you got to pay attention to what's happening right now, or you're going to get embarrassed in front of 70 people. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just the fact of the matter. And the thing is, is like, it's really important because it, it gives us good data about what the kids know and what they don't. So the, the faster people get used to it and understand it, the, the better off they're going to be. But to convince them of that is, is difficult, especially when it's been like, you know, this year has been a little weird, like with just teaching virtually from home and stuff like that. But other than that, uh, I have not been sleeping well. <laughs> the baby is teething. She's up like, th- so the baby hasn't been, uh, the baby's been teething. So she's been up like two to three times a night, um, which isn't long. She's when she's up, she's like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then she goes back down. But it takes me a while to fall back to sleep after that. Cause it's kind of jarring. Like just to wake up in the middle of the night to hear a screaming baby. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep. And I still remember my younger sister teething. Just all the screaming and agony. I still remember it. It was wild. It's And it's really hard to watch because, like, you can clearly see. Like, when she's sitting there, like, where you're just sitting there playing with her, she fits, like, the first three fingers in her mouth and puts them in the back of her, like her, the, the kind of like the pouch of her jaw and mm-hmm. just gnaws on them. Oh. So we, we've been giving her teething rings and just being like, I keep them in the, um, the, like the, the freezer. And so they're yeah. nice and cold, but, um, she doesn't like them. Oh no. Yeah. So it's really been a, it's been a problem. Like when you pick them up and give them to her, she literally goes like this. Oh, cool. Like, I'm like, I know it's cold. Put it in your mouth, please. I got to meet this baby. I haven't met this child. No. Yeah. I was actually thinking about this the other day. When's the last time we physically saw each other? 
March, the right? Pod, the, the first four episodes of this podcast that we recorded. So that was March. That was the first yeah. week of March. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Can you believe it's going to be a year that we're basically going to be inside? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, because it's happening yeah. in real time. I can totally believe it. Yeah, no, it's, I, that's kind of my thing. I feel like, I don't know. I, I was actually, I said this to Anthony earlier today. Like, I think this is, despite the pressure of like online teaching and kind of like everything changing all the time and it's kind of like everything's in flux. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the happiest I've been in a very long time. In, Me too. In terms of, especially my my professional career, I really feel happy about being home. I, I, I love the fact that I get to spend, like I eat lunch with my kids every day. Like that's a huge huge benefit to me like i know sometimes uh people complain like wow this is a lot of extra work and i'm like yeah but you have no commute like you don't don't drive to work anymore you don't like you can take lunch at your house you can literally you know you don't have to pack a lunch anymore like you don't have to do any of that stuff like none of that stuff has to happen you know you don't get stuck in traffic like it just doesn't you're you walk down your fucking steps like you know i wear jeans every day like, cause you can't see me from the waist down. Like I wear a dress <laughs> shirt and jeans and it's like, no, oh, you know, like I get to wear jeans every day to work. I'm wearing slippers for Christ's sake. Like it's nice. Like it's a nice feeling. And I, I, I uh, was saying to Anthony, I was like, I wish I could find a job that would allow me to continue to work like this. Like just to stay home. I don't mind the hours of like being on the computer for like eight or nine hours a day. That doesn't bother me. I just, I like being here and I like the, it's not isolation. What do you call that? Like the, the insulation. Yeah. It's just, it feels really good to be here. Like I just like being in my house and I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm happy in my career. I get to work from home anyway, but there's much less travel now. I'm happy with this podcast. We have really enjoyed and a few people seem to enjoy it as well. And that's it. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's, it's all it, the biggest thing now is I think the feedback we get from people is, is so nice is like the, the one thing that seems consistent is people are like, I feel like I know you guys. I'm like, good. I, that's, kind of the us. Point. that's the point of this is like to kind of like just tell our story and tell kind of the story of bands and the scene. And uh, I will say this though, I'm still like, when I hear people say the scene, it's still kind of like, ugh. <laughs> I like me- it because I like the elitist angle of it. I want to say the scene. I want to be called a scene stir and I want to be on the inside and have everybody else on the outside. What do you think of that? I think you're very I'm confident. I'm saying that like tongue in cheek. I know. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're very confident. Um, <laughs> I just, when I hear scene, I think scene, I think scene stir immediately. And I think of like, you know, Mr. Spock haircuts and like three like shirts that are too small from, you know, a youth baseball place you didn't play. Right. Well, we're going to have to create a new version of Scenester, a new updated cool version. All right, folks, we're going to talk to Anthony now. So here he is. All right, folks, we're here now with Anthony Green. Anthony, welcome to the show. Howdy. Uh, It's awesome that you're here. You know, I've been highly anticipating this conversation one, because we all have a rich history together. I mean, we we grew up together. We went to the same shows together. Two, you have big time history with Tommy. 
you guys played an audience of one together, and we're going to dive into some of that too. And three, I mean, you've you've got a lot of stories to tell. You've been in a lot of bands. You've done a lot. So this is going to be a great story to tell. Dude, I'm stoked. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm like, told Tommy that I was like listening and every once in a while I would be like, man, when the fuck are they going to ask me to do this shit? (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about that in the opening segment and I'm going to be honest with you. Anthony, when it comes to you, I I imagine, I always imagine that tons of people are bothering you for shit. (laughs) So I, I was like, uh, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. I, but, but eventually, we got around to it. Man, I have to clear. I have to make sure I clear the air on that because nobody ever hits me up for anything. So, like, maybe everybody's sitting around thinking, like, dude, everybody hits him up. Like, no, dude, nobody's hitting me up, dude. Throw me a bone, <laughs> baby. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm gonna get your number. We're gonna start a band. Dude, I'm, we're gonna start. A, I'm in. We're gonna start a new podcast. That's my vibe That's right it. now. We're going to do a short film. We're going to do it all. All right. <laughs> so uh, what's going on? How are you doing this week? Right in this, I can't have the week that, whoa, <laughs> whoa, hold on a second. I'm not writing off chunks of week time here. I'm right in this moment right here. I'm grateful. And I have a heart full of gratitude. You try to start talking about a whole week there. I'm going to get overwhelmed here. I'm going to start, I'm going to throw up. Yeah. You know, a week in, in the times that we're in could be like a year. Yeah. I don't even, so, and, and there, it literally has been times where like from one week to the other, I go from like a crazy extreme. I'm good, dude. Life is good. I'm sitting in this little area in my basement where I'm can write and work and, uh, record. And I haven't really had that capability for a while being home, like, and being off tour has forced me to like get better at recording myself and, Mm-hmm. that's a huge plus. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to kill myself today. I'm, I'm not on crack or heroin. That's cool. You know, that's always good. Yeah, everybody in my family's happy and healthy. You know, there's, uh, there's lots of love to be spread. You know, I can't complain. Yeah. I can't complain. That's great. Yeah. So about the home recording, I've heard some of the stuff you've done for the Circus Survive Patreon. Yeah. Including the Interpol cover, which my friend in the band said he really dug. Really? Yes. That's sick. Yeah. I was like, I just blind sent it to him. I was like, yo, check this out. One of the coolest things about that band for me is that their, their his, like watching their trajectory has been fucking cool. Like, I love every record they've ever put out and they get crazy. Their last record is like the, my favorite thing. And to be a band for that long, go through all that shit and still put out a fucking record that is like, holy shit. Like there's a song where he's just like, if you really love nothing and he just says it in a way where I'm like, it still just makes me feel like that thing that's alive in music is always going to be there no matter what idiot is trying to sing in front of a microphone, you know? Yeah. And it really, that gives me hope because uh, be, it's way easier to be an idiot just singing in front of a microphone. Yeah. Do you find that now in real life, I'm an extremely shy, uh, withdrawn person. I even have a hard time looking people in the eye, but put me up on a stage or put me behind a microphone on this podcast or put me up on a stage to do some acting. And I, I get shit done. I deliver. Like I'm fearless because I'm like, this is my job. Do you find yourself feeling the same way? I think that, you know, it's a similar, uh, it's a similar it's a similar beast that we're taming, you know, there's an adrenaline that plays a role like as an observer, you know, and like you're kind of going into this state where there's ego death 
or they're, you know, uh, you know, and so you have to embrace some shit that is difficult, you know, and that's your, there's people that can roll with it and people that can, I think that in real life, whatever that, like throughout your day, you know, would not having that thing to tap into is definitely difficult, but you know, you in real life are the same person on stage or on this podcast or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just you, how you divide it up equally so that it makes, it makes more sense for you. Exactly. And Tommy and I were talking about that in the first segment, because people will write in and say like, oh, it's like, I know you guys. And I'm like, yes, this is, this is literally us. Yeah. This is, this is us. I mean, you hear Tommy on the podcast, Anthony, it's the same guy. It's great. Well, Tommy's, that's one of the things that made me most attracted to him as a human being when I fucking saw him walking on my bus as a kid, <laughs> like, like a skinhead with like fucking patches all over himself and like combat boots walking in. And I was like, damn, who the fuck is this dude? Like, and, uh, he was so like, what you see is what you get. And like, totally nice guy. Like you'd think like was about like, you think would just be like ready to fight you in any minute, but like, is the sweetest <laughs> also like chill and like was into cool music. And like, I loved that, you know, that idea of something that was like, kind of, you know, uh, like he wasn't afraid to be himself at all, you know? And that's, that's something that makes me that that's something that I admire about Tommy. Like I always will. Like he has that confident nature in himself, you know, where he's just like, he moves, you know, he makes the action. He does what he's got to do. And he's cool. What grade were you in? It was when you guys I was met. a freshman. I think he was a sophomore. Yeah. Ah, it's my freshman. And year. that was, yeah, that was 100% like my super like crust punk phase of, yeah. uh, and and it was really funny is like Anthony and I went to a uh, fairly uh, Catholic well known all boys private high school. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. like in a bar, I'm in the uniform and I'm like, fuck this shit. I hate this shit so much. Like I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do. Like, and I'm like super into like Minor Threat and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and Green Day and Metallica and like like I like everything my brothers like like but I'm like really trying like getting into like punk and like yeah. I was super like like green you know like I like I was super new at everything and like I met this dude who had all these cool band like bands that like I've heard of you know like I knew who like the vandals were you know but like i never had listened to them or like there's so much music tommy introduced me to tommy actually told me about a radio station that i started taping at night like tommy's the reason oh, yeah. i I, be, I literally heard so much music he's like yeah you got to listen to princeton radio this is the yeah. radio. And we had Walkmen and we listened to the radio. So like, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I taped this radio station and he would tape it and I would tape it. And we would talk about stuff we heard. We were talking about like hot water music and oh like God, falling yeah. forward and like cool shit. And it was a, like, and I also heard grindcore and crust punk for the first time in my life. Like, and I was, that like, station was dude, sick. It dude. was, it was so cool because at, at that age, like I was like, dude, I can make grindcore. Yeah. Like That's I it. could do it. Like I could bar, put my finger down, like drop D, like boom, and just go, 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 and just scream and like get. And I was angry. I was hated shit. So, dude, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy walking into my world, like it was a crazy experience. And and here's the thing: it, 
in in my life i've always had like this gotten so lucky and fortunate in every fucking way and even ways where i thought i was completely cursed it was still somehow like the luck of the draw in way that i didn't understand at the time and i was so nervous about going to the school all my brothers went to a different school and i was going to this private school. I was getting teased about going there. I didn't know anybody there. It was all rich kids. Like, ugh, it was a long story. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Tommy walks up and I see him and it's like fucking the lady in the shell, you know, in like with fucking like <laughs> angels. Fucking, there's like a light, a crust punky, punky light behind Tommy and like the casualties are playing in the background or like <laughs> anal cunt is playing in the background and Tommy walks on the bus and I'm like, everything's going to be all right, man. Like I saw Tommy and I knew what that fucking Bob Marley song was about, you know, where it's like, <laughs> everything's going to be chill, bro. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah, dude, I'm going to get to be friends with this guy. I don't care. <laughs> it's almost like fate. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's I, funny. Was, I was worried that he was like a skinhead, like a neo-Nazi, but I realized yeah. that like right away, like he was like, uh, if anything, he was like one of those like skinhead type of dudes that like were like super anti neo-Nazi, but like confused you about it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're like some of those, like, cause there's a lot of like, there was like some fucking like weird Nazi people showing up around Bucks County at that point. Oh yeah. And like, I there's didn't There's a know. couple weird, I, I just remember, and they weren't even like Nazis. They were these Dudes that remember the tri the tri Hampton YMCA they were like skinheads yeah they were like these guys that like they, I remember the one guy had longer hair though and he was yeah. like clean cut he wore a flannel shirt like tucked in and he was like he would have these pamphlets and it was all about like not like racial purity but like, like nationalist it, shit yeah nationalism like it was yeah. like that whole like dude I remember America first I remember being at the Ivyland skate park and meeting somebody and like getting drunk with him and we were like kind of making out and then finding that they had like a fucking like a crazy tattoo like a crazy like neo-nazi tattoo and i was like oh, oh no. my god and they were like yeah and they like try to say something about it and i was just like fuck it's like all right see you later my bad <laughs> for everything uh. <laughs> so you and Tommy meet, right? Yeah. You're connecting via music. How do you decide you're going to start playing music together? Uh, well, so Tommy and this guy, Jeff Coulter, would jam in his basement, and they had like a drum set and a guitar amp. And at that point, I was just like, dude, I'm going to figure out a way to get a guitar so that I don't have to ask my parents, because I know that would yeah. be a thing where like, and I think I even did like go to my parents and I was like, hey, I think I want to get a guitar. They're like, well, maybe you ought to get a better job and maybe you <laughs> ought to get better grace. And I was like, okay. So I was like, oh, oh, man. I can scrape together a hundred bucks. So I spent like a little bit of time scraping together a hundred bucks and I bought a bass. Oh, yes. Right. And I, I had a, that bass. I had that bass for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I left it at your house because I was just like, yes. I just wanted to jam with you and Jeff. And that sort of evolved into audience of one. Well, because Jeff was like so crazy and like couldn't hang. And then we met a guy at school who was like a crazy good drummer. He was like a, in the jazz band at school, like so good, but also like loved yeah. Slayer and shit and was like fucking great, but it couldn't hang really. And he was like a cool dude and everything, but then also wasn't sometimes like about certain shit, had like some anger issues. And like, um, I wasn't a cool dude either, but like, he was just like not cool. Me and Tommy weren't cool dudes, but like, we could hang with like anybody, you know? But like, yeah. this dude, uh, so, but then we were, I was at a show 
Tommy and I talked about it and I think I was at a show and I saw Colin and I was like, Hey man, do you know any drummers? Or do you want to like start a band or whatever? Like, I don't know. I was just trying to find people to like jam with, like they could jam past 10 o'clock and like could play shows and stuff. Cause we were yeah. like talk with that point, Tommy and I would just go up to people at the YMCA or at like a church basement and just be like, yo, we have a band. Like even when we didn't, <laughs> yeah. like, yo, we're going to, can we play? Like, how do we play? Or we would call numbers on flyers and we did that shit, you know? Oh my God. We liked Dude, it. remember we, we changed the name of the band like eight times. It was like handsome They're, Pete. Handsome Pete for a little while, which is <laughs> Simpsons reference. I, and still then it was, a, I still have a handsome Pete like patch somewhere. And then there was uh, the Bill Bixby experience. Bill which Bixby was, was like a total rip off of like the Charles Bronson. So it was, it was just, like, it, yeah, but it was like Daryl's idea, right? Yes. And it was <laughs> like, the, then the other thing was, uh, then we would, then it was junction two thirty two. Junction two thirty two was a, my favorite thing. It was, a, it was a song dude. That was kind of hardcore. It was like kind of like shy halud, but it was kind of pop punky too. We had a song. As jokes at two thirty two, that was so yeah. good. It was a uh, fucking that guy from uh, a handsome guy from LaSalle. He was like a he looked like um like an eighties like in the in the eighties movie when there's like a the okay. bad guy that's like the like bad a guy the guy who's like a great skier who tells you yeah. like, like who you have to like ski. <laughs> yeah, like he has like a varsity letter jacket on, even though it's like the wrong like time. A, like, like a Johnny Lawrence type. Yeah, so yeah. You have to, like somehow beat him in skiing to like save the slope for your family. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but he he was like the he was yeah. Then uh, then we started. Well, then we started really like kind of. Well, how did you find? Because you found JD. Do you remember? Yeah, that's what. I, so I was at a. I, I went to go see just a rant. Like I just went to go to a show, and it was days away was playing, and Colin was playing drums for them. But they were, and it was like no, okay, so it was days away, but it was also like Mid Iron Blast Shaft or something was there, and like I went to go see like. James Love Jackson or somebody and the, and they were or the idea it was like some band that I like loved from the area it was like James Love Jackson or or it might have been Iron Blast after one of those bands and they they were playing with Days Away in some place in Lansdale or in like Bristol or something fuck but I remember being there and seeing Days Away for the first time and being like holy shit this is like if Jimmy World and Sunny Day Real Estate like like took like like acid and made like a baby and like was even better than all of those things. And I was in love with him. And when I yes. saw Colin, I knew him from this day forward. And I was like, holy shit, like maybe this guy will start a band with me. He's in two bands already. And so I was like, hey man, would you want to play drums for a band? He was like, no, I'm in like six other bands. But I have a buddy who's so good and he's better than me and he should be in a band. And, um, and I was, and he, and he gave me JD's number and I literally called JD and he was like, when do you want to jam? He was like, so he was like, he was so cool and like chill. And I didn't know anything about him, like nothing. Like we just called him. He came over to jam. We started talking about music and like, he, he turned me on to music too. Like it was like this crazy thing, man. Like there was no, like, I couldn't check this guy's Instagram to see what he was all about. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was no references. Like this was just like Colin, this one guy I met once who I saw play drums, gave me a guy's fucking phone number that I had to write down and call from a phone with a wire on it in my house, <laughs> attached to my house and be like, Hey, do you want to come to my house with your fucking drum set and jam with me? And it was funny because I, at the time he came over 
And we started playing an audience of one song that's called Show Your Teeth. And I think that was, we literally just, it's one, it's like one chord progression the whole way through, like a hundred times. But there's like the vocal changes slightly or something. I don't even remember. It was like a fucking Captain Jazz ripoff, but we, I couldn't play. You know, so I knew two chords or three chords and I played them back and forth and I sang something (laughs) that sounded like a a feeling that I could compare to one of those things. So I was like, cool, promise ring, fucking whatever. Yeah, Cap and Jazz always comes to mind when I listen to those old records, those audience of one. Cap and Jazz was the king of fucking kings. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear for the king of kings right now. Like when I <laughs> listen like, to the, when I listen to Captain Jazz, like I'm just like, holy shit, man! Like, like the thing about it that was so cool is that it seemed it was, you know, at the time going into a studio and playing music, like it was just these guys like played these songs live. They went in, they played them, and you got this energy that like you got at a basement show from the thing. Yeah, and that was something that is not replicated now because everything has to be to a grid everything has to be straight everything has to be in tune like there is no dissidence or it's program dissidence you know and i miss that so much about music you know yeah and it's really captured in those early audience of one recordings i mean you can hear it's really raw it still sounds like you though like did you did you I mean, you just figured this shit out as you went along, right? Yeah. Like singing and playing and everything else. Yeah, me and Tommy both did. I mean, we we felt it out together. Like, he 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 never he never questioned anything. Like, like songwriting wise, like Tommy only ever added shit. He was just like, "This is gonna." He just made shit cool. Like, if there were parts that needed to jam, like he jammed. Like he he jammed before I ever even knew what jamming was. Like. You know what I mean? Like Tommy would just like look at what I was playing on guitar and just start playing a bass thing, you know, and like did bass runs that were cool. Like, and then like, it's like, I would play bass too. Like we would like, we were, we would really, we really like had a cool vibe, like where it wasn't like both of us were knew we didn't know anything and we're just trying to have fun and make something. And neither of us had like a cloud of judgment around it. We were like, we knew it wasn't trying to be good. It was just trying to be something. <laughs> like yeah. we were trying to compete with like Boz Henna or like any <laughs> of these bands that we would see play. Like we just wanted to be on around it, you know? And that was cool. And we knew how we could carve our own little niche that way. Yeah. I think one of the other things that was kind of like, it was always strange about with Audience of One. It was like, we would just come in with like, Hey, here's the, th- do you remember the four song EP? Yeah. JD wrote a whole song. Yeah. And I remember he like he showed would, me what to play. Yeah. And he was, and like, I remember it not making any sense to me at the time because <laughs> there was another guitar part that he was doing. So at the time JD had this idea to do this guitar part and like half of the song was a song that we like kind of jammed on the other half. He had this totally, I, this whole, it was instrumental. Yeah, with like, xylophones. I'd and... never put vocals to it. I always want to put vocals to it. That, that four-song EP was like, it's still the coolest thing I ever did. And no one's ever heard it. <laughs> That's one thing that should come of this podcast. You put vocals to that last song. Yeah, dude. And we're going to talk about potential audience of one rumors <laughs> later uh, in this episode. Dude, I would do anything. I need to get a bass. Like, here's the thing. Like, <laughs> dude, I got one. I, got, I need I'll to learn how to play up. again. <laughs> I got a drum set. I got a bass. 
You should see my shit right now, dude. I got, I'm you hooked know, up right now, dude. You know what's crazy, though? is like This is one of the things that, like, with JD, it was like we would go to his basement because his parents were so chill, and we would just hang had out. everything. And yeah. it was, he had that six-string bass. Yeah. He had the xylophone. Yeah. He had a drum set. He had a keyboard. Dude, he, had, was, like, an, he had amps that people just left there. I think at yep. one point he had a PA that I think yep. Greg Itzen might have just left there or somebody stole and left there or something. Bob would come and use it for shows and it would disappear for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it was like JD's basement was like JD – he also kept all his CDs down there. So like Dude, we would you know just- what the thing about it is his parents didn't give a fuck because he got straight A's no matter what. He would skip school, he would do whatever he wanted, but he killed it constantly. He was just one of those people. Like he was he was a genius first. Like that was one of the things that kind of first like when I would yeah, he would also do anything for anybody. Like the dude volunteered. Like he was the first kid I ever met that like volunteered and did shit. He did animal rights shit, but he like, dude, he was a fucking, he would give anybody the fucking coat off his back too. Like he was just, he was like an alien, man. And he was like, yeah. he was the, he was the president. He was the class president. Yeah. Yeah. He was like the most popular really? kid in school. Yeah. Yes. He was like, well, and he, he was, was like, he was vegan. Cousin. He was vegan when, I didn't even really know. I didn't know what it was. Like I yeah. kind of like understood, like and basically. like did shit where they would fucking they would go into the mall and steal steal, steal animals, from the pet store, steal animals from the pet yes. store, and bring them to places where they could like get like proper care and get adopted to better people. And like he would go and like rot. Like there would be animals. Like they would do fucked up shit where they would go like yes. steal horses that were gonna get euthanized and okay, save them. Really like wow. crazy Jeez. shit. JD was like a dude when I was like 16 and just getting my license and just like hanging out with JD, he would yeah. take me in his car and he would, he would go off roading behind his house oh, and yeah. scare the right. shit out of me because he was just like one of those dudes that just like, I don't know, man. Like he, he, he was crazy. He, he would, legitimately he didn't like, even care. Like, would, and it was, would, I, I would tell his parents would tell my mom and dad that, um, I could stay over and like, we would do whatever we drove to the shore one night. Like he'd be like, yeah, yeah, like my parents would be like, just let me know. And I was 16 or 17. I was like, come on, like, let me do whatever. And I would skip school and go with Jay. We would do at least three times. I remember just being over there. And one time being like, dude, I had to call my parents and like, had to call and be like, I'm staying over JD's tonight. I don't have school tomorrow. And we drove down the fucking shore and like watched (laughs) the sunrise and like went to a diner. And like, I had the best time my whole life. We used to do that a lot around that time and that age. Yeah. That was I loved spontaneous, wholesome shit like that. When I think about shit now, though, I see seventeen, like sixteen, seventeen year old kids like around like now because I'm like forty and I have like nieces and nephews that are at age, and they don't do yeah. shit like that, man. The world isn't like that. No, not at all. Like it just doesn't happen. Like there's no like, dude. I would be at a diner till three o'clock in the morning, like at like seventeen years old, like smoking cigarettes, like yes. going to random people's houses to hang out. Like I don't know if that shit goes down anymore. Maybe it is, and I'm just like a fucking old fuck. But no, I think people just hang out on the phone or computer now. You mentioned getting your license, Anthony. Can we talk about your driving for a moment? <laughs> <laughs> on record. This is about to be a deposition. Let's talk about my driving. All right. I'm going to start <laughs> off by saying I'm on the longest no accident run of my entire career. Okay. Two weeks? No, dude. It's been years. <laughs> years. Wow. Years. But I, from a person I was at one time, 
I do have a spiky, I do have a spiky area there for a period of time where some cars, I was in debt. Let's just put it that way. There was, there is a period, like this is one of my favorite. Do you remember the guy, do you remember the guy I used to buy the sobs from? Yes. That had the shop on street road that was like, yes. fuck, he was such an asshole, dude. I fucking hated that. That guy. sob you drove is legendary. There's, there was four of them. There was three sobs because there was one Toyota oh. crashed in two weeks. Yeah. And I, I worked for a while and bought the sob. I worked at Good Nose and I bought the sob. And then an, an accident happened that wasn't my fault. Got a new sob. Accident happened that was my fault. Got help. Got a new sob. And then didn't it, remember when the guy fell asleep in the wheel and crashed into us, Tommy? Oh yeah, the Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, we were coming home. Remember? Do you remember when that girl crashed into us on the way home from school, and we were like, "Fuck you, just go home." So no, this is the all right. So this is how I remember that story. So we're driving home from school. Keep in mind, Anthony and I had a forty-five minute drive each way in the morning. So we're driving thing ever. Actually, it was amazing. We would just get stoned and listen to music the whole time. We listen to full albums and get stoned the whole time. I I still have uh, one of the cassettes upstairs. You, we would get, I would get drunk and stoned (laughs) on my way to school every day. It's so funny. It's so scary. But we came home from school one day, so we're driving down the street, and we're we're I I think we're looking for a tape, and we're both looking for it. You're still driving. And it had just finished raining. Anthony slams on the brakes and because he looks up and sees there's a car coming really close. So he slams on the brakes. They're stopped at a red light. We hit this girl's bumper. And I mean hard. And <laughs> oh, yeah. he, before he even like we, the, the, the car has barely come to a stop. He leans over to me and he goes, watch this. And he gets out of the car. He comes up. He stops the girl before she gets out of the car. And he's like, Hold on a second. Let me just go look. And he just goes, oh, no, no, no. There's a bunch of people behind us. Don't worry about it. There's no damage. You're good to go. And she and she drove away. <laughs> but before Anthony got out of the car, he went to he literally looked at me and went, watch this. And I was like, oh, what is Wait, happening? I have, I have zero recollection of that. <laughs> so did you have experience in talking your way out of accidents before? No. So I remember coming home from school, like literally at a place that I remember hitting a pole at and a girl hitting me from behind and pulling over and being like, the car was fine. And this girl was losing her shit and being like, you're, you're fine. Get out of here. But I do not remember hitting somebody and getting away with it ever. Cause I every remember. time I ever, I hit somebody from behind. <laughs> I remember I hit somebody from behind and got fucked and had to like pay all this money. And my insurance went up. And then I hit, I had, I got a hit, I got in a fucking, I got in some serious shit later on when we were, when I was living in Doylestown, when I was like drinking real hard, where I like, I fucking hit a car and then took off from the cops and then ran to the woods on Xanax and then like <laughs> fell asleep in the woods. And then when I woke up, there was a thousand police everywhere looking for me. So I came out with my hands up, but then the police started to fuck me up and I was still fucked up. So I was like, Fuck you. And then I started, I was just like, fuck, why are you fucking hurting me? And, you know, I, my reflexes are to defend myself. I'm literally unarmed by all these dudes who are obviously, it's like, dude, there's an obvious thing here. Like, I'm chilling. Like, I'm not coming out to fight you at all. This is completely unnecessary to stomp all over me. And I just, Whoa. I kicked in like a thing that like where I'm like fighting my dad all of a sudden. And I, and, and then I got it. So I got arrested for all of this shit. Uh, I go, dude, I've, I've, 
gotten so many car accidents. I got so much dumb shit for so long. I even hate saying it because I know my kids someday will hear this and be like, dad, but they're all better than me anyway. And they learn from like, I talk to them about it. So they know that like dad fucked up. So I don't necessarily have to go do all that shit. But how much legal repercussion was there for that incident? Did you, were you on probation for jail? What? For how long? Two weeks. Oh shit. What year was this? Oh fuck. It was in the 2000s. Shit. It was like 2012, maybe. I used to be a master. At, I'm, this isn't something to be proud of, but I used to be a master at talking my way out of DUIs. Yeah, that that this was like a DUI hit and run, <laughs> assaulting a police officer. And I could have gotten way more time. Way more. Yeah. This was nothing. And I didn't even go to like jail jail. I went to like where you go for like the last 90 days of your sentence, like and work release people, but it was scary. I hate it. It was the first time I ever tried Suboxone. That's where my mom worked. Remember the fucking um She worked dude, I would have loved to see your mom. Holy shit. The I was, men, they call it the men's rehab facility. I knew one person there and I, I I met him after two days, and uh he was a guy that I was in Horsham Clinic with when I was there for uh I was like I was in Horsham Clinic for a month for like uh mental health shit. And I met this guy again a year literally like a year later in jail, and I was like, This is great. And he was my buddy. But he almost got me in some trouble. And a guy with a circa tattoo was in there who had um, Suboxone. Uh-huh. And I was, I had like, I had been kind of, I had not taken like pills in a while. You know, I was drinking yeah. a lot, take smoking weed, but I hadn't taken any like perks or Xanax and I wasn't doing dope, you know, I hadn't done dope in a long time. And so he told me what it was and I was like, fucking, it all sounded a little bit like mumbo jumbo a little bit. And I'm in like, you know, I mean, this dude sells drugs in jail and is like hooking me up and like being nice to me. And like, so, and he's like, don't eat this whole thing. It was a tab. It wasn't like a strip. It was a, was it, it an eight milligram? It was an eight milligram, like, like an orange stop sign. And yeah. he was like, dude, just take like a piece of this, put it under your tongue. Do not swallow it. And so like, I took like a half of it. And I, I, and I, and I'm there and I also have to do drug and alcohol counseling during the days there that I'm there. So like certain days I have to go to this thing. And I did one day of drug and alcohol counseling, met this guy, took the Suboxone. And then I was like, fucking, I don't feel shit. And for a while I was like, fucking don't feel anything, dude. This is weird. Like no rush, like no nothing. Yeah. And then I can't even remember how it kicked in, but all of a sudden it was almost like stronger than the heroin that I ever remember taking. It was stronger than any heroin I'd ever remember taking. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never taken it by itself yeah. just to that was come the back. only time, Keith. It's the only time I've ever had that experience with it in my life. The rest of the time, any time after that, and I also yeah. didn't see it for a while after that. I like would yeah. get still get perks and stuff. Like after that, I I I, I literally felt it for like two days. And I was fucking wow. wrecked and it snowed like crazy. Okay. And like, so uh, the drug and alcohol counseling got canceled. We couldn't drive to the place to do it. So that next day I was still sick. I could barely walk, dude. I, could, I yeah. was throwing up, but I was also euphoric and I was in jail and I was, I had a little radio that the guy who I was sharing a little cell suite with would let me use. And he had like, you know, he didn't never use it. It was like one earpiece AM FM radio. And I was like, it was so fucking sick. And I, I was, dr- and 
I loved it, dude. And I spent the whole two <laughs> weeks in there. And by the end of the two weeks, you know, like obviously because of the way that shit works, I didn't understand at the time, but it just like didn't really work the same. Yeah. But I never really saw it again for, I didn't see it for years until I started doing dope again. And then I saw the strips and it basically was a way that I, when I was, I, well, I first tried to get clean with it because somebody told me like you could get yourself clean with it. And I think it might have actually kind of worked, but the problem is that it worked. And then I wasn't afraid. Then you have to get off that shit. Yeah. Then I wasn't afraid to use it again. Like, I think I actually had an experience with it once where I got myself clean. This is back like the, like last, like about seven or eight years ago when I started using hair. Like, but like, I, I got clean for a minute. For a second with it where I took one where it was like one half a strip mm-hmm. and I was like and I wasn't even that I wasn't using that I was like using like fucking I wasn't even that sh- strong I was like just getting mild withdrawal but to me it was like the end of the world because I didn't know how bad it could get and so I used the sub to get off of it and I felt like it was scot-free because the way it was coming out of my system was like taking so long that I mm-hmm. didn't, that it, it, like it, the withdrawal was probably so mild that I just was like, whoa. And it didn't scare me enough. So I, like, I hopped back. I got, my habit got worse again when I hopped back on it immediately, you know, almost immediately, like oh, probably that week. Right. And then that cycle happens, you know. Yeah. You know, I started taking it and I was like, great, I'm cured. Like, and that yeah. lasted about two weeks. And then it and never then works again right the same. Yeah. And I went back to what I was doing. And I figured out I could take subs during the week to to be okay at work, and then on the Thursday through Sunday I would get fucked up again. Yeah, and, that, and it's like that cycle continues. Saying that and reading it, you minus out the actual wanting to kill yourself twenty four seven that comes with the side effect of both of those things for some weird reason. Yeah, <laughs> like it's both the the cause of like whatever issue. I like here's the thing, and like I don't think I don't look at drugs in general at being either good or bad. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're neither in my opinion. Um, there are, I have a bad relationship with myself yes. and I'm working on and my shadow and that's stuff that I'm working on. And I know that in order to do the work that needs to get done so that I can be autonomous, I need to take a break from all that stuff right now. I also know that like, with like i took i i said goodbye to booze a long time ago for some reason i like i haven't drank in over eight years and mm-hmm. i'm just like i i don't i don't know what happened like i just was like fuck it and i i literally threw all my relapses with heroin i just was like at one point actually i stopped drinking when the when the first time the heroin got really bad after high school and shit um mm-hmm. like in circa i started i stopped drinking because i couldn't manage like it was fucking up my heroin habit yeah. Like I would get, if I drank and I blacked out, like shit would go, like I couldn't manage it. You know, it was like, it almost was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on this thing because I like it the most or something. And, Plus, it, yeah, and, if you're puking all the time, you can't drink. Dude, just, that was my, that was my it thing. It sucked. It made everything, like it, it, like a one drink, maybe, like I just couldn't manage it. I couldn't manage yeah. it. And so I just stopped doing it and it was, I I had gotten so much trouble from drinking too, like where I just wasn't myself and I was just drinking so much. Like I like fantasized that I, like I just became fat Jim, wannabe Jim Morrison and I was just being a jerk to people (laughs) and um, I hated it. And so I stopped drinking after a lot of bad experiences, like just like getting arrested overseas or getting barely arrested, like saying mean things to people in a blackout where I'm like, I don't mean that. Like, 
holy shit like i would i don't know what the fuck demon came out of me like i'm so sorry like you know uh so i stopped drinking but then the heroin thing you know how that is like you know so my relationship with myself i need to work on and i don't know if i ever i don't know if the stuff i'm dealing with is ever going to be in a in a state where something that is as pleasurable as booze or heroin will ever work in the with the chemistry of my 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 like acting psychosis my like survival psychosis or whatever i have to be in this planet but um there are things that are probably be cool with it like i can do other shit like music is an actual escape for me like if i apply to it in the right way like in the same way i applied like getting dope like if i apply like myself to like making something like even just making something like i feel like a kick from it you know like actual kind of a high and there's other weird shit you can do that like I do. I spent so long getting high, like, and I'm still alive. I'm not like completely brain dead. So like, yeah, it's, I got to try other things. Like I'm going to be more active maybe like I'm an old man. So like, I'll try to, you know, maybe I'll try to get good at like fucking yoga or karate or I don't know. There's the world is, you know, my oyster. Like there's not a lot of options when you're, you know, when you're like, when you're like getting drunk a lot or you're fucking, you're, you're addicted to booze or you're addicted to alcohol or, or, or heroin or pills or whatever you're addicted to, you know, if it takes over your yeah. shit, it's like. When I'm getting high, I, I do not do shit. I sit in a dark room and play Nintendo games. That's it. I maybe wrote like a couple little things that like are even hard for me to even like, I, yeah, but it was so hard to write. It was like picking up a thousand pound pen, you know, it was like, yeah. Ugh. Like I, I'm so, I feel so much better writing, so like sober. I got clean in 2017, and that's when I really started. Dude, listen, but this is what you did: you traded one addiction for the other. You know, yes. like you stopped being addicted to dope, and you started being addicted to this output that you're doing now because you get a kick from it. Exactly. And like, what's wrong with that? Like, so it's like we we like if you're it's addiction, right? Yeah. Like you chase it. It makes you happy. It like, it gives you fulfillment. Like, holy shit. Like, so why it's like, it makes me feel like, okay, like, listen, like there's, there's hope in non-judgmental observation here. Like we've already done a lot, you know, like there's nothing new in heroin, you know, when they, when no. they come up with like, actually, I think I actually relapsed this last time because of fentanyl, because I think I had this one therapist who was like talking, listen, man, I remember him saying to me, like, you don't even want to go out now, man. Cause it's crazy different now. The shit is 10 times stronger now. It'll fucking kill you. And I remember sitting there being like, you son of a bitch. That sounds <laughs> great. You know anything about me, motherfucker? Have you been listening to me for seven or eight weeks? Now I have to try it. I want to know what this fentanyl is like. And tell you what, it, I hate it, and I couldn't stop doing it. Wow. Like, dude, that shit's crazy because I remember literally getting it the first time and being like, whoa, this tastes fucking like perfume. And then being yeah. like, oh, shit. This is crazy, not like dope. Like this is not the same. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was out. And I was out for 20 minutes or so, but I didn't know what was going on. And when I woke up, I was in the same place and I might have been like mumbling to myself or something. And I was like, I don't like this. And I remember being like, this sucks, dude. Like this is great. This is great that this sucks and I hate it because I'm never going to do this again. And then being like, I think I will do it one more time. <laughs> Oh yeah, give it a try. And uh, that's what we do. Yeah, but then I fucking fell in love with her, dude. Oh god, she fucking killed me, man. 
I don't know if I've ever done it. I've had experiences where I passed out or fantasized a whole phone conversation that I didn't have or went into some kind of weird dream state. But I don't know if that was just nodding or like a fentanyl experience. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. I've had. So I I remember one time like having going up to a hotel room and stopping and after going down and meeting somebody who I like I did like uber to get somebody i like had to find some crazy sketch person to go uber somebody where somebody like and then get it and come back and i was a fucking nightmare dude it was always such a fucking nightmare and then i remember like falling asleep in like a hotel bathroom and like somebody being like you are right in there like because i was like like talking to my kids or something like like, and and i'm like and and at that point i'm still fine like i'm still like uh yeah i'm just like fucking i'm just like fucking just excess man to like attain like some kind of fucking oneness bro like i don't know i'm some fucking idiot at the same time i'm like trying to like i'm like trying to like drink kombucha and like do yoga <laughs> you know what i mean and meditate and all this shit but also i'm like do heroin and smoke fentanyl <laughs> so i have a question like for the you. ultimate 2021 fucking gen shit guru i i have a question for you now today in 2020 what does what does addiction and everything look for look like for you and what i mean is I've realized that I need to do a lot of work to manage it. There are plenty of times I still want to get high, but I focus that evil energy into positive things now, like you were talking about, Anthony. Like I, you know, first it was the band, then it was the play. Now it's uh, the podcast and the certification I'm working on. And I also do some work trying to help others. And there's a, I just harness that energy into positive things. And that keeps me on the right track. What does it look like for you and do you still have like a lot of urges? All right. So these days, it looks very yeah. similar th- uh, to yours. You know, like I, I love making music. That gives me a thrill. I have like my rituals throughout the day, like a little routine that helps me yes. stay fixed in gear. And so, like, and I like have little r- rituals to help me stay present in the moment. That help me. That help me a lot. And like. Um, you know, mu- music, I fill my day up with music. I have a ton of projects going on right now that like really all just give me so much fulfillment. You know, they take nothing from me, give me everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, everybody I work with, you know, are, are people that like in- inspire me in some way, shape or form, you know, not, not always in the way that you'd always think, you know, uh, yeah. but uh, in, 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 in some way, like they really work in the pH of my fucking shit and help make me like want to be a better person, you know? And, uh, I stay engaged in the moment and I fall out of it constantly, you know? And so it's a, it's like a balance. I I've been like kind of taking a little step into my spiritual relationship with like why, you know, at some point when, you know, after you fucking die, you know, and then want to die, you know, like, and you're, ch- you're chill with that idea. And to, to come back from that, you literally have to set a, like a mission statement for yourself and be like, why the fuck do I want to be here? You know? And so I have made a little short list of those reasons and I make a little, do a little inventory of those things every day, you know? And, uh, I have like so much cool shit around me you know, and to be self-obsessed with the problems that I'm going to fixate on from time to time would be, uh, would be like a terrible mistake and a, and a distraction from the reality of which it was like, we have 
we're very fortunate right now. So uh, I have, I can, and helping people. I, well, first of all, I want to say, I want to hear more about your play. And second of all, I think that in the nature of somebody who's been through the suffering that you've been through, that you can yeah. connect really well with this service, you know, and part of this like podcast that you guys do with just talking about music and creating a place for people to go talk about music and their experiences with it, like, and, and, and praise it. Um, it is part of that thing that helps give back and create something. You know, I feel like when you're sitting around getting high, you're sort of like a, a you're a void, you know, yes. and what, and what you do when you turn that inside out, like you're doing, or like you replace that with something that's creative, um, or, ch or childlike in, in a creative way. And like you creative energy all around it and love, then you're, you really like you expose it in a different way where you're giving back, you know, you're radiating and just in doing that, you exist in like a chain of joy for other people and just mere observance, you know, and that's so you're in a way it's all of service. And that's part of the mission statement of this podcast, because when I was really getting high in the darkest depths, I didn't have anybody in my life at all. And I, I would listen to Howard Stern yeah. or I would listen to a podcast and they were my friends. Yeah, You know, can I tell you who you remind me of, Keith? Yes, please. And your humor. And I hope this doesn't fucking bum you out ever because I, I hold this person in high regard extremely high regard and admirable human being. And you're <clears throat> sometimes you remind me of like Norm Macdonald. Oh, I love that. Okay. So like in, in just in a way where I'm like, it's just like you're like, you're even in your comedy and like, just the way that you like, I'm like, damn dude, like you guys could be on the same bill and like kill it. <laughs> Norm, if you're out there, let's talk. I think you guys should. He's got a cool podcast too. That's like pretty wild and like it's, actually it, it, intense. I've seen that before. It's just him sitting in like sweatpants and a sweatshirt, just talking shit to people. And it's funny. <laughs> the show looks like it's in somebody's like basement from like a PBS <laughs> show. It's like crazy, and like people are like wasting on it. And he's so he's so funny. But like that's the thing is like uh, with things like podcasts, and I think that's why people are making podcasts now is because like, dude, you know, you don't have to be like a great guitar player, a great drummer, or like a confident, like vocalist to like, just like have a conversation with your friends and, <clears throat> and the qualifiable effect that, that, that you have when you connect with somebody is like beyond words. It's, it's it what is. religion talks about. You know, you, people call it God. People call it being in the moment. People take drugs to find it, but it really is just like the vulnerability connection of two people relating to each other beyond all the things that are obviously going to keep them separated that are screaming at them from the world, you know, and you do that. People have making podcasts to do that. They want to have conversations. They want to connect more. And like, I, I, I hate to say it, but like, you want to say whatever about technology, but I think that it's, it is like technology sort of finding a way like roots of communication and humanity digging through the the microchip of fucking whatever like whatever the fucking void is of the of this shit that we have like the internet's all shit like whatever like people are talking to each other now like you guys i haven't talked to you guys in forever you know like and we're, yeah. we're talking about how the things we celebrate we're talking about choosing life over death and we're talking, talking about like you know and and that's a good thing you know so it's like and that's that's another reason i love this because under normal circumstances I probably wouldn't randomly call you to catch up just because I right. feel weird yeah, and I'm awkward. So this was born out of you being like, hey, man, I need to connect. Like, that's why people go to 12. I want to connect. I'm going to just do this thing. So yes. you took a leap. 
you showed vulnerability and you showed like it, it takes vulnerable because you, you put yourself out there. People are like, this sucks, you know, and you have to be like, OK, yeah, I'm going to make something people might say sucks. Like, I'm going to like it. And that's 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 certainly you're an artist, you know. And yes. I, dude, I was so happy when I saw that you and Tommy were doing this just because you guys are both you were such a huge part of my experience with like opening myself up and becoming somebody who is comfortable to play live music in front of people. And yeah, uh, you guys are two people that like, I always were like, man, I, I wish I could be in a band with them. Or like, I wish I could talk to them more whenever I saw you were doing stuff or hanging out at like with Vadim or like going somewhere. I'm like, damn dude. Like I'm always so busy with like a, like a child being born or like a record yeah. getting thing or like, and I don't, and I only got, I only started working on time management. Like, like yesterday. So I'm like, like, so it's like a cool, it's a cool thing to see you guys doing this. It's a new thing for me too. And being clean and sober certainly helps that, but let's talk about some of those early music playing days. Now, Mm. the first time I saw on now audience of one, everyone's young. Yes. And everyone's figuring shit out, but there was a lot of talent in that band. JD was a virtuoso on drums. He tied Anthony, you know, your lyrics and singing and songwriting and guitar playing really worked in that band. And Tommy, your bass playing was not just your standard bass playing. Like that that audience of one yeah. song that we use for the closing, like do you hear the bass lines Tommy's playing? Like Dude, the runs? That's the thing that people, like I don't think anybody, like when people talk about audience of one, like a lot of the times they'll say something about me or they'll say something about JD, but they didn't realize like Tommy was fucking insane whether it was a guitar and tommy also rips a guitar but like he played the bass like he was playing guitar leads that made it sound like flea like it was so out of left field like it was crazy and it was also a thing where like because i a lot of the songs like were me doing weird half chords so like a verse would be like me stopping playing and tommy's (laughs) bass line you know, or like, you know, I would just hit rip one chord and Tommy's baseline would change a little bit. And it was like, that was enough to have it be its own thing. You know, like his shit was incredible. It was crazy. Yeah. I think I was just in the right place at the right time with a lot of that. Were. And like, honestly, Bob saw like people that were just trying to do like stuff that was like Captain Jazz, Promise Ring, Piebald, like, you know, love stuff like that and like wanted to. Like, be like, all right, yeah, you guys can, like, you guys can come and be, you guys can come and jam. You know what I mean? Like, kind of gave us an opportunity to go play. And, like, already, they, they knew everybody, you know? Like, so it was, like, you know, JD kind of snuck us in to a, an already existing crew with, like, This Day Forward and Boz Henna and Makeshift and Snatch and yeah. fuck. Like, oh, my God. And the first time I saw you guys, I heard like, oh, we're going to see Audience One. They're awesome. They're awesome. I had no idea who any of you guys were. And I saw the show and I was blown away. And I remember Tommy wasn't wearing a shirt. Yeah. That's the thing that sticks out. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> was it Doug Stock? Was that it? No, I, don't, I have no idea. It was one of those early like VFW hall shows or something. But dude, there, was, I had, there was a couple experiences that I had with Tommy because those shows would be like, they would be like once a month, you know, like, or like yeah. once every two months, you know, and I, we would be practice, we would practice for them. And like, I would, oh man, like, and every song was like a new, like, you didn't really, like, we had, like, we tried to make tapes, but everything, it was like, dude, every show was like you were, 
recording your live best performance for the people there. Like it was a different feeling that dude, it was so visceral. And I remember being so excited, like nothing ever I've ever felt before, dude. And some of those shows, like I remember, I remember, uh, uh, What's her face's basement? Charlene's basement. Oh yes. With the end. And I remember that audience of one show was like the last show before JD went to college and like everything got weird after that. And it was like the best thing ever. It was the best show we ever and we were so tight as a band. And we had we had like fucking 20 songs or something like that we would just jam yeah. on. You know, like you guys were a powerhouse live. Yeah, I remember the end would come down and request to see videotapes of you guys. Oh, fuck, dude, I love that. Dude, I, oh my god, I, I fucking I had so much fun, and I I remember some of those shows, dude. I remember playing at Triumph YMCA. I remember playing at fucking St. Ephraim's and at, at, uh, at Palanca, and then fucking Doug's, and and in places in the city, like we uh, oh, dude. we had a couple. Yeah, we had a couple kill time shows. Oh my god, that was! Oh, so I lost my shit. I lost my shit at you at that one uh, kill time show because you. I was on acid. <laughs> yeah, you I walked got all fucked up before the show, and I'm like, keep in that mind, was our last that was our last show ever. Was that the last one? Last show ever. I ate acid at school, and it was awful day. And then she took me. I ate, it was micro dots. It was mescaline. Oh my god! And uh, that's when the micro dots were around, and I didn't know it was gonna last for like fucking twenty hours or whatever it was. So I didn't know what's happening, and I was with my brother watching um, Powerpuff Girls all day. Oh yeah, so, so no, it, Anthony yeah, gets so up on stage, I, I, dude. Okay, so we played. First of all, Greg Edson was supposed to be there, didn't show up. I was so pissed. Yeah, he I was, was so, yeah. acid. I was using somebody else's guitar, and then I broke a string. Two songs in, gang, gang, gang. I played that song, and then I broke a string, and then I didn't couldn't figure out how to change it. And then the guy from all like all else failed was like, "Hey, here's my guitar." Which he handed me like a fucking hollow body, like he handed me like a Rickenbacker or something, like a hollow. <laughs> he handed me like a, a nice guitar, like a Brian Setzer. He handed me like this cool guitar, and I was like, "Oh!" And I'm like borrowing a guitar for the show. Like I'm like, dude. And I'm tripping, and he's like, "Yeah, it's tuned. It's tuned. Blah 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 blah." And I'm like, "Huh?" And I'm looking at the tuner, and I'm like trying to tune it, and I can't tune it. And I go to play the, uh, the next song, and Tommy's looking at me, and I'm like, "What's happening?" And I, I'm <laughs> fucked up, and I stop. And JD's upset, and Tommy's like, "What the fuck, dude?" And I'm like, "I'm out." And I put the guitar down, and I walked away. And the girl and I got into the car, and it was fucking like it was like ice. I remember driving home; it took me like three hours drive home from West Philly. Oh, <laughs> oh and I, that was the last. It was the, the kill time, and it was yeah. my the last audience one show. And I was sure it was going to be the last time I ever played a concert in my life. You know, and for a while, I remember thinking I would never play a show again. And I was like, went to college, and I worked on music. And I did some stuff, but like I never could be in a, like my parents never, like I could never be in a band. You know what I mean? Like, and I, so I remember going, I remember Vince, I remember recording Zoloff stuff with Vince. Yeah. And then being like, I'm in Zoloff. And then I started, when I went to college, I was away at college, but I also was like, re, it was the first time I got into um, like Oxycontin, which was like <laughs> before dope, but also dope, but like Oxycontin turned into dope because oxycontin became so expensive yeah and then dope was like the thing and then oxycontin- it must have been like 2003 yes it was yeah. right after it was it was 2003 it was right after i graduated from high school and right. i because i i had experimented with dope in high school 
but never re- and pills, um, but never really got that bad until I was in college. I, 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 I like had a couple really bad incidences where like I would find I'd get pills or I would get dope from people I knew that went to like Council Rock or whatever. Um, but just because I wanted to do it, I remember like just like loving like band. Like I remember like like oh well, fucking you know like Allison Chains, fucking Nirvana. Like I want to try it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it was so boring in the suburbs. And like you know, to me, I thought of like weed. Every all that stuff became was just like a portal to another world anyway. So I was like, right. I, I was just like trying to. I was trying to travel before I had, um, you know, uh, the means to, you know. So I have a question. Let's get this out in the open. At, at one point, Tommy was kicked out oh, yeah. or replaced in I Audience of One. It's going to come up. God damn it. <laughs> no, this is, no, this is one of the worst that. memories I ever had in my whole life. <laughs> Dude, before, it would be healthy to talk about it. You though. know what Dude. happened, though? And I, you know who I'm going to throw under the bus for this? Oh, yeah. No, yes, I do. I know. I know. <laughs> because Tommy literally seduced me into thinking that he was a better bass player and that he would sing and that he was going to be a better friend and all like, I just like, I just was like, dude. And he like, I think he just wanted to be in the band. And like, and it was like a thing where I was like hanging out with Tom. I was going to the mall. Maybe he did it on. Maybe I was easy prey. Maybe we were best buddies. I don't remember. We were going to the mall every day, me and Tom. And we were hanging out all the time. And yeah. and I remember being in audience and getting him to and and being like, dude, I have to do it. Like I think, you know, he like convinced me we're gonna have more shows and all this stuff because he was in the, it was like a thing. Yeah. I remember like, all right, this is the best thing for the band. Tommy will understand. You know, um, I hate his girlfriend at the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Who was it at the time? You know who it was. To begin with an H? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. My bad, though, for, for saying this. But at the time, I was so – I hated her so much, dude. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I need – I." and then I was just like, fuck it. The closer to that story, though, is uh, do you remember having this conversation outside of JD's house? Do you remember when you were like, yo, I need you back in the band? So this is my, this is my take on it. I went to one of the shows that Tommy played. Um, my quick take on it was basically like, he is a very good bass player, but he, he was trying to kind of do like these very extravagant things. And it's like, sometimes the root notes are sometimes less is more. And I think a lot of it came down to like, uh, he's kind of like, you know, he's new in the band. He wanted to prove himself. And I remember he was focusing so much on like singing and playing that it like that some of the note value I remember and he did like he was like he would go so wild that it was like cool to see but it would like he would just go off and Tommy was like so he was so like stationary but like he was just so fucking on it like he was a machine my thing was like I I worked well with JD because JD was like a um like he was a band kid um so like the biggest thing with playing with someone like JD is you have to watch, you have to watch, you them. watch them. And every yeah. photo you see of audience of one, you see Tommy watching JD too. Yeah. Cause you, you gotta every watch photo them. of us ever live. You just see Tommy's like got his back to everybody. He's just watching JD. Cause you have to watch the, the percussive parts. Cause he, the biggest thing is, is like he does JD such a good player. He does these accents all over. I don't even remember playing with Tommy. That's the thing. It's like, I think I remember playing with him in, in, in JD's basement. And I remember being fun, you know, but I remember being really traumatized 
by traumatizing you and feeling like I was like, like I was like abandoning you. And then what you want to know a, a, a backstory behind that. So Tom was dating this girl and, uh, and we were hanging out a lot and he was in the band. And then one day we met up and he like got in my face and he was like, why the fuck are you flirting with whatever her name was? And oh, I was yeah. like, what? And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You think I don't fucking know? I'll fucking kill you. And I was like, what? What? Whoa. What? Bro? I and I, and I I'm like, remember this now. I kind of flirt with you. Like I flirt with everybody. <laughs> man. Like, my bad. Like, I'm not going to say I didn't flirt with her, but like, I'm not trying to fuck your girlfriend. Like, I, but then she, I was like, fuck this shit. I'm not going to be like, Tommy's literally Tommy and I have had actual fist fights and oh, he's yeah. never made me feel like that. Yeah. Like we've beating, we, he's beat me up. Like I've tried to, he, we've, we've tried to fight where Tommy beats me up, but we've never, I, but he's never made me feel like that, you know? And oh. that was awful. And we didn't talk for a while. And oh, yeah. I was like, Hey, Tommy's not going to be in the band anymore. Like, I'm not going to play with him anymore. And, like, I think also JD was going to college. And we had, like, didn't we have shows with you? Like, we had shows, like, after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we had a bunch of shows after that. And then we I, had, remember we had tried to have Pete uh, join the band? Pete. Oh, Pete Helmus? We had Pete oh, from right. Halfway to Holland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, had right. him three times. And, that's right. um and then it like wasn't working out or something. Like he just was like terribly shy, and like he was so good. Yeah, he's a really good so, player. He was he's so really he was player. so good. But then something happened where I just felt like. And then he, I, the next time I heard him playing, he was in uh, his band was so fucking good, and it was incredible. I remember him helping me make Audience of One demos at his house. Um, wow, Algernon's one of my favorite bands of you know like in like top 20 favorite bands in the last like fucking 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. They're legends now. I mean, he is, he is like, you know, what's funny about like, like that, that you say that like audience of one, like Arlene's house, like when Tommy was back in the band and it was like after Greg Itson had left and we were like, where it wasn't in it. And it was just a three piece. And we were like a tight little group. And um, JD was going to go to college and not play. You know, we were just going to like, and I was trying to figure, and I couldn't tour anyway because my parents like would fucking kill me. Yeah. And I didn't know what the, I was going to have to go to college anyway. And I just, I, you know, uh, I remember, I remember like, I, I don't know, just feeling like so, like I was done, like I was it. Like that was all I ever wanted. For, like audience of one was the most and the highest I ever expected to ever get in making music. We had a CD. We had a four-song EP that was so cool that I was like wanting to do stuff with. But honestly, just making it and having yeah. it to just give to somebody yeah. at the time, like to put it on fucking on like a streaming service. Like I remember being like at the beginning of the time where I'm like, dude, I can just put this on the internet. Like I can put this on a thing. Like I remember just feeling like I don't even care if the, I don't I'm not trying to get signed. Like I was just I could make a tape of this right now. I have it on a CD. It was like before, like um. I remember thinking that was the top of my game. I had it. I played it for people that I went to high. Like I played it, you know, and I, Vince, when, when he kicked me out of, of Vizoloff for being a drug fucking fiend, dickhead monster, <laughs> who I probably was, you know, crazy person, lying sack of shit, whatever I was, um, just a, in a fantasy world, you know, um, he, I, he let me, 
record for two or three days in there for this project that have songs that I wrote over the course of a couple of years and it turned into this like high and driving EP that I like used to like be like, hey, I have this band that was just me playing everything except the drums, which Timmy Arnold play. Yeah. And there were mm-hmm. songs that I wrote on recorded on a four track in my house, demoed out, and then went into the studio with what I had in the demo and had Tim come in having never heard anything or just listening to the demo on the way to get a breakfast sandwich and then go to the studio, which I promised him money, I think, but I'd never paid him. (laughs) And we jammed in the studio and recorded it. And we would take the best recording of the best take of the best structure that we would put together that I would just throw together from playing like, all right, we'll do this four times. Then we're going to go into this part four times and then we'll do this. And then you stop and then you go back in. And that was like it. And we did that. And like, at the time, I didn't realize, and we would do the thing a couple times until we got it right, and then I would put vocals over that. And a lot of the times, I had the vocals mapped out, but I would kind of write them on the spot. Like, yeah. I would kind of scream out words that I had written on my paper that I would write the night before or whatever. And then I would listen back, and I would hear what I was screaming, and I would scream another thing over that. And I would – like, the studio became, like, the ultimate instrument. Wow. So like, I was singing along with myself, and melodies – got written that way because I didn't really know how to write. Like that was like building blocks of melodies. So like, and a lot of things became like, okay, I can do this and then I can do this over it. And then, you know, we figure it out. And so I did four songs where it was just like layering shit and put it together. And the night before, dude, the night before I did, I did, I had Tim do this, the drums. I did bass that I like made up by myself. And then the night before I like, I had a pepper eating contest with like uh, my girlfriend's uncle and like <laughs> I got fucked up and I was chugging milk the whole time I was singing the vocals just to get through the takes. Cause I literally wanted to die because of this acid, the indigestion that I never felt before my life. Yeah. And I just, I was wasted drunk and I ate all these habaneros and I was just swallowing them whole, like barely chewing them and swallowing them like, ha, I don't feel anything. Oh my God. And then woke up at like seven in the morning, like wanting to die and was drinking more alcohol and then drinking milk Ugh. to try Ugh. to try to, to try to like dissolve the acid from the alcohol and then drinking like straight up like baking soda and water. Oh, I, and just dude, like to- smoking pounds of weed, like cig- and cigarettes, just trying to like, and I'm like a mess in the studio, like trying. Do you sound like the singer I, of Zayo on that EP? That's, dude, I it, sound like a little kid that's singing. I, I sound, my my nose is so. I hate my voice, but uh, I, I I had such a fun experience playing with it. And afterwards, I had something I was proud to play for people, and um, you know. Th- that didn't have anything to do with anything. Like I later on, I Vince let me go in and record vocals over sales and demos. And that's what made me become able to play with sales. so, but, um, so that's what I was going to ask. So you didn't have a plan to go into music. I wanted to go into like, like I wanted to be a hobo. And I saw music as a thing where like, dude, if I could sing, I don't need anything. I could literally fail and I'll be the one to sing and I don't need shit and I don't need any luggage and I can have a backpack. It was like, you know, it was like, uh, it was just, it was, it was like pure essentialism. You know, it was like, all right, I was, it was easy. It was, it was minimalism, you know? So how did it work with Seosin? Now, Keith uh, Goodwin told us the story that Bo was looking for singers and, Actually, Keith recommended not to contact you because you uh... – The story that I've heard from Bo is that he was like, Keith, 
he wanted Keith to sing for the band. That's yeah. what he told me. And that he was like, uh, Keith, like, how do we get you to sing to the band? Like, do you have anybody that sounds like just like you? Like, almost like being like, I want you to sing. Like, who can I get that's just like you? You know, like, <laughs> like trying to poach him, like using yeah. that. And he was like, um, yeah, I don't like, I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, like, I don't, nobody really comes to mind. And then Mike Dufresne was like, Anthony Green kind of like is great. And then, and then um, Keith was like, uh, yeah, no, Anthony's crazy. And he's an <laughs> asshole, and he'll quit your band. Yeah, yeah. And, no, that's uh, that's exactly what right Keith on, said. He hit fucking nail right on the head, baby. Yeah, and was and did all those things. I think they were like he's just out of rehab and he's crazy. And they so those guys were like at the time, like they were like you know, I think they heard that and were like probably like yeah, fuck yeah, let's get that guy. <laughs> you exactly. know, like, I think yeah. they had this fantasy of like. Like they, they, they had like this California mentality, you know, where it was like, I remember meeting them and being like, they were like, dude, you just got to fucking go for it. You got to like, you got to act like you got to seem pro if you want to be pro. I remember them saying that to me and being like, that kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? But I, at the same time, like I didn't really know anything, you know, and I was very, like, I got out there, dude. And those guys wanted to be in a band that was like, like a big, like a band that could like make a living. And yeah. I was so into that idea, like, as, like, a thing I was just riffing on. <laughs> like, I was like, dude, I've been singing. I sang for a band at home, like, fucking whatever, dude. Like, I don't want to be living in my parents' house. Like, you give me a place to crash, like, I'll give it my all, you know? And I did. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't, like, even fake that I know what I was doing. I just, like, I just, I went, I went along for the ride, dude. I, like, did the dance, you know? And I learned, like, it, I worshipped beatniks, you know, growing up. My brother, I like, the first books I ever read were, like, you know, like, William Burroughs and, like, shit. Like, I was fell in love with, like, poetry and, like, shit where I was, like, fantasized about wanting to get away from my suburban prison, you know? Like, I didn't yeah. like, I knew I was privileged. Like, I wanted to go, see, I, I, I wanted to jump over the fucking, the, the, the kingdom walls, you know? Like, I, my parents would be like, you know, you, you know, you can't, you go here, you're not going to be able to hit us up for money or come back. And I'm like, that's the point. Like, I want to go experience life where I like, I, I do what I want. And I can like, I, I had this fantasy of going out and like, literally figuring it out as I go, like, like the guy from like, like, like the guy from the show Kung Fu. You know, like just like oh, yeah. chilling, going for it, meeting people, like I love that. playing guitar, singing. Like I have a couple songs, like I could play baby girl. I remember getting drunk at school and playing baby girl for people and then being like, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which like became a solo song, you know, or which, show you like, and, and essentially was show your teeth. Which I, um, I think this is, this, one song. <laughs> this bears repeating. This is one of those things that like, Anthony is like one of those people that when you meet him, this is like he's like a machine when it comes to like drinking it was insane i do remember getting in the car with you a couple times in the morning and keep in mind we had to be at school at 7 40 and we lived like 45 minutes away so we had like basically almost an hour drive so it's like 6 30 in the morning we're getting in our car or and we would switch off like who drove which day and i remember getting in the car with anthony like and we kept all of our 
our like dress shirts like in the back seats <laughs> like we never had clean clothes we just like would have like cl- like t- we had to wear a tie to school so we always had but, just like, like we would t- just unslip it like the unslipped noose yep. and then like we never tied it or anything like i just dude i kept car i every all my clothes were in tommy's car and what was yeah. cool is like we would take our the dress shirt off or sometimes leave it on and just like you just add a hoodie to whatever we wore to school, and that's like what we wore to shows or to have like parties or whatever. Like yeah. Tommy got away with wearing like black skate shoes. Oh my god! For and like, like, like I would a year. wear like black Vans. Like they just like didn't notice, or they would yell at you and like didn't give a shit. Like Tommy and me, like both were bust in from like Bucks County, and like we like kids came from like Doylestown and like New Hope or like, but we were like. I don't know. I feel like both. I feel like a bunch of the people at that school like both saw him and me and were like, "Whatever." Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't talk with us so hard because we were like actual weird, like weirdos. Like, there was a kid at our high school that I remember. Uh, do you do you remember? Uh, we had the kid on the hockey team. Remember who his, his grandfather was? Uh, Frank Rizzo. Yeah, dude, that was fucking crazy. And it was he, like- had, he he was like driving to school when he was fifteen. In like a fucking Cadillac. I'm like, wait, dude, you're fucking not. You're like a sophomore, bro. Like you're wow. driving. What the fuck is wrong with you? Also, we could, we literally would like, it was a, it was a different time in life. We were like smoking weed and cigarettes outside, like really, like really right outside the door of the cafeteria. Yeah. A lot of drugs in the school, but they were like, it wasn't a lot of drugs in the sense where there was a lot of drug users. It was very, it was a very like small community of people that did the drugs. A lot yeah. of people smoked weed. A lot of people drank, but it was like maybe a dozen or so people that like fucked around with like acid, other hallucinogens, or like like fucking like opiates and cocaine and and would yeah. you know I don't know. I like what you said about kind of your ticket out of the suburbs and just this life of traveling and vagabondness and that that i love that that i imagine that for myself and too that's the thing that attracts you to music in the first place like keith you were yes. having i remember i remember seeing as friends rust in your house you know what i mean yeah. and i remember you being like yeah man like you just wanted to be a you were down to be a part of anything no matter what and like it was like a thing where you know uh back then you know, just being around music and being able to be a part of it, like it introduced me to the idea. Like remember Tommy went on tour with JD before I could, like he went out of the state and did shit. I couldn't leave. My parents wouldn't let me, you know, like I, I had to lie to my parents to drive to fucking West Philly. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, same. Do you remember? I don't know. I was just saying, I was bringing this up when I was talking to Keith. I was like, do you remember how crazy my mom was? (laughs) Yeah, dude, I I was bummed because you would Tommy had to do chores, bro. It was like I and came like, home. My mom would leave it. So my mom worked. Uh, it, it depended on like what year it was, but my mom at one point in time was working at the men's rehab, like the the prison, and she picked up second shift. So she would go in at eleven o'clock in the morning and come home at seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night. And every day I came home from school, there was literally a list of chores on the dinner or on the kitchen table that just said empty and fill the dishwasher, fold laundry, put laundry away, um, it, it rake leaves. Like it was literally like every day there was never like a, it was like, I can't just come home and unwind. It was like, nope, I just came home from a, a ridiculous school day and then a 45 minute drive on top of that. And then fucking let's do a bunch of housework. And it was like, I, I just, I, it was such a, my mom was so strict that when I, she was like, Hey, you want to go? Like, I was like, I'm mom. Uh, my band got a bunch of shows. We're going to go and play a couple of them. And she was like, oh, okay. 
it was like the most out of character thing I've ever heard her say. Like it was just like, it, it floored wow. me. I remember sitting at the, I was sitting at my kitchen table when we were telling her about it because I remember um, when Rich had left a life once lost, Doug was like, Hey, I want you to play uh bass for a life once lost and had a conversation with my mom, literally sat at my kitchen table and tried to explain to my mom what touring was like, where we were going, where we were staying. My mom wanted like an itinerary and Doug was like, we're sleeping on someone's floor. And she was like, <laughs> and my mom was like, okay, well, that's nice. My son won't be doing that. I, I pay in a lot. Oh, of- so you weren't allowed. Not for a life once lost. No, a life once lost. Wow. I wasn't allowed, but uh, yeah, the audience of one tour, I was allowed for a good chunk of it. And then uh, it was like, it was literally like four days or five days. Well, it ended in Pittsburgh. Like, and I remember yeah. JD's dad's van got stolen with all the equipment in it. Now you're you now you're playing with Seos and this is probably when you're like okay I'm gonna do this music thing right because you're you're getting some heat right you're touring you're doing it we're touring we're doing tours with bands that I really like and yeah. we're getting cool opportunities and then shit starts getting like crazy to the point where like I feel like I'm sort of like losing myself and I'm like I'm like. At one point when I went out there, I like wasn't really drinking and smoking anymore because I had been to rehab for the first time and I was like trying to chill. And then I started drinking a little bit and then I started smoking a little bit and then I'm like singing in this band and I'm out in California and I'm like kind of being wild, you know what I mean? And um, I sort of feel like I'm getting away from myself and I remember wanting to work on music, but like it just like Bo was also like doing like needing to make a living and producing a lot of stuff. And I remember we were shopping the band around and we did a couple things that were really cool, but I just like remember feeling like at one point, like they don't really, I just remember feeling like, I don't know. I went home and, and was hanging out with Colin and I'd always wanted to be in a band with him. And this day forward was over. And I felt like I had like, more confidence in my ability to like be somebody who could like, it was the first, like Sayosin was like, I had been in a band and done other stuff, but Sayosin was the first time anybody was ever like, dude, you're like good at something. And these guys are really good at this thing. And like, yeah, you know, and so I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to do that again. And I also like, didn't know how to communicate at all. So right. like, not feeling connected to those guys was not something I knew how to say like, Hey guys, I want to get more connected to you so we can do all this. So I essentially just ran from it. They were signing to, they we were talking about signing to Atlantic for like a lot of money. They had just signed like Thursday, they signed fallout boy and we were going from like, it went all of a sudden we were, we were signing to, we we're going to talk to Fiddler records and put on an EP. And then that went to like, epitaph and then that went to like interscope and then that was gonna and then we were meeting with island def jam and i was like holy shit and all of a sudden it was like yeah you get to go home and hang out and then we'll call you when it's time to do vocals and we're gonna get songwriters and i was like okay and then i just like i think i just felt i also came home got my wisdom teeth out and started taking painkillers <laughs> and was like you know what i'm gonna stay here and start my own band and that, so there was all these different things that came into play and say, listen, we're great dudes. And they, I think would none of, I did not know how to communicate. And had I gum to them with my feelings, who knows what would have happened. But, um, as much as I regret just bailing, leaving high and dry, like 
I feel like the way it all went down worked out the better for the better for everybody. And I'm in that band now, which is cool. And we jam, we've jammed with their other singer and, you know, we make, we're making music right now. You know what I mean? Like there's no beef. I remember a time when I was in Circa where I would have nightmares about running into them at a festival or on tour or an airport. And uh, yeah, we're like buddies, all of us. Uh, Did you ever run into them when things were tense? We had a couple weeks where we played a warp tour where we were like on the Ernie Ball stage and they were playing main stage and they um, ha- hadn't put out, yeah, they put out, a, they put out their full length and um, it was like, they were huge, you know, and they were massive. And I remember watching them every day and they would like play their new songs and people would go wild and people would go crazy, but then they would play like songs from the EP. And I liked their new songs too, like the songs they made with the new singer. I was like, this is cool. And I hate admitting it. It sounded like further seems forever or whatever, but then I would watch them live and I'd be like, this doesn't bum me out. And he would, but he would play my songs and they would play my songs. And although I would watch him and be like, this doesn't bum me out. It's cool. He can do whatever. I don't give a fuck. Uh, The people singing along gave me this feeling where I was like, I want that again. And I had it a little bit, with Circa because like, it just like came a little bit, you know, but I just, you know, um, I remember watching that and being like, damn, I think I lost the chance to do this on a big scale. Like I'm not going to mess up the chance to do this on a smaller scale. And then, you know, uh, I still am, have that mentality, you know, like I, that's my, the mentality. And I love, I love the stuff they did with them, you know, and uh, I've, dude, I, right now, like I, I'm making music with so many different people from like the comfort of, well, from the confinement of my home <laughs> and I get to play concerts. Like the other day I did a live stream and there was like, at like the weakest moment of the live stream, there's like 700 people watching at a moment. And that's like more than a normal fucking like solo show I would play. Like I play a solo show in your city, wherever fucking maybe a hundred people, 200 people tops. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to go any more than that. Like that says a lot fucking big show for me. You know what I mean? Like, and that's cool. And it's free for anybody that can watch all over. It's not like confined to one city. I can be with my robe, you know, that's great. Yeah. If you got Bitcoin, you got Bitcoin, you could throw me a fucking cyber shekel. (laughs) I love that you got back together with Sayosin and did that record. And when I, when I went to detox, I got out. And I, I was like, oh, they put out, Sayosin put out a new record. Let me check that out. And I always really connected with Second Guesses. Yeah, dude. That is, that is the track. I, I, it always still reminds me of that time. And the one line where you're like, sober up and you can see more than what you wanted. Yeah, it's way more than what you wanted. Dude, that's so cool. Once you give up that lifestyle and you're like trying to figure shit out and discovering more about yourself, it's incredibly difficult but just awesome, incredibly awesome. Yeah. Like people will tell you like, and when you're in sobriety or like when you're working on your sobriety, people will be like, man, it's like life beyond your wildest dreams. And you're like, fuck you asshole. What go back to fairyland where you fucking lucky charms and shit. I'll get out of here. And, uh, but then when you are, when you are living autonomously and you're doing what you want, and you're you're living in your purpose, your like true calling, whatever that is, 
and you have that type of fulfillment and that connectivity and you're living in service, you actually do feel pretty good. Like, and, and people die and shit happens that you don't want and you lose things and you gain things. But it's like when you have those other things in order, um, there's manageability there that comes with like the clarity of having that, that type, uh, like tr- just like trying for that sort of autonomy. Yeah. And what I've realized is when they say life beyond your wildest dreams, that doesn't mean like I'm suddenly going to be in a band and be really famous and have all my empty childhood dreams fulfilled. It just means that really cool shit that you don't expect is going to happen. Here's the thing, dude. It's like boiling it down. Like if what you want, if, okay, like let's say that's somebody's thing. Like I want to be in a band. I want to be really famous. Like, okay, you really boil that down for a minute. And what that becomes is like, I just want to be loved. Yes. I want to be accepted. I want to be accepted for who I am. I want to be celebrated for that. And the answer to those things are celebrating other people like that. Like if you want, like you don't need to be a rock star. The answer to that isn't like getting likes or having a lot of hits or becoming a brand. (laughs) Like when you become like, man, what I really want is to just be loved. The answer to that is to go out and give love, compassion, like, uh, you know, conditional condition, free love and compassion. You know, like the other day, uh, I had an experience like my fucking dog died of like 12 years. Okay. Yeah. I, I go into the vet. I have to put my dog down. It's fucking heavy as shit. Okay. And this woman who I'm friends with, uh, who lives like right near me, who has four daughters, single mom, going through a terrible year, texts me. I'm literally walking out. I'm alone. I'm sobbing. Said bye to one of my best friends who can't talk. It was like crazy experience. I was in deep scent of grief and Lupe, my friend is hitting me up and she's telling me something's going on with her in this text. And I immediately was like, fuck Lupe come over right now. Yeah. And she was like, I'm on my way. And so she comes over and I come home. I stopped and got a pack of cigarettes cause I want a fucking cigarette after fucking feeling my dog fucking live watching my dog die. And then, um, Lupe just came and she needed to connect. And I needed to connect too. And I needed to connect outside of this self-obsession that I was having with my grief that was just an attachment thing. Not saying that I wasn't dealing with it, like, but like having her come over, she needed somebody to talk to. I needed somebody to talk. And it was like this beautiful dance that we did where like we cried with each other. And like um, the antidote to that my feeling was this compassion for someone else. Like, like rather than be like, Oh, sit there and be obsessed with like, Oh, this, this grief that isn't going to go away. Like I got to be there for somebody else. And that helped me deal with my grief in a, in a true way. You know, that's great. And that is, that is my approach too. When I'm going through it, I reach out to others. I try to help others. I throw myself into whatever service I can do. And also you know, my condolences on, on the dog because listen, I'm, I hate doing that too, because like, I'm not the type of, I'm not, I don't want to like, I'm not the type of person that's going to be like, Oh man, this fucking, this smells like shit. Like take a whiff of this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I look, there's certain things that like, I don't want to burden other people with. Like I love my had I had 12 years with this dog who was the most amazing friend. And I actually feel more connected to her now. And my attachment to her 
is like a kind of a physical human thing that I need to let go of. I'm like my, my love for her is like, you know, bigger than that. So, uh, I appreciate that, but like, she's, I, I don't sell you can't, I don't, I can't celebrate her by like, by like, um, by being too sad. You know, I get real attached to pets, and I'm already fearing the day when we lose one of our cats. So I'm, I feel you on the on the pet you tip. Cannot be prepared for it, no matter what happens. And um, right. it's it's an actual, um, it's a, uh, it's a, pr- it's it's a process that is like profound. And I I found a lot of healing in it. It was like um, it was like a psychedelic experience. I think the only way out is through. Yeah. Yeah. The only way from the gallows, to, uh, the only way down from the gallows is a swing, baby. There you have it, folks. That's part one of our discussion with Anthony Green. Be sure to tune in next Monday, same time, same place. For part two, we have a lot more ground to cover. I'm also going to be doing a wrap up with Tommy and we'll read some feedback from you, the listeners. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time.